everyone, grace and peace to you all. Um, I'm here with my really good friend. I heard you're teaching, John Mark. You're like, Dave is my best friend or good friend, or I don't know. <laughs> too, uh, too cool to have best friends. But yeah, I think uh, we can just go on record. We're like really close friends and maybe maybe best friends. Well, that's, that's good for you. I'm happy for you, Dave. I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> ready to commit to that yet. <laughs> you are a very non-committal person, John. This is what this is. This is the intervention. Um, we are dear friends. Dear friends. Um, so my best friend's Ashley Lomas, and um, I live with her. She's my best friend. My wife, <laughs> I feel like we should start this podcast over. My wife and I were chatting the other day about like, what do you do when you have a best friend, but then you have another friend that you become really close to, and then you have like two best friends? Are you disloyal? And that got me thinking about uh, James Martin's chapter. I think we both read his book on Ignatian spirituality. Oh, yeah. His chapter on friendship was really good. He has all these insights from like Jesuits living in community for a whole life. And he has like this whole thing on how the greatest threat to friendship is possessiveness and how ah. like if you start to attempt to take ownership over another person, yeah, that actually that's a form of narcissism, not a form of self-giving love. And so he talks about how for mature friendships in Christians, like the great threat is possessiveness. So I don't want to yeah. possess you, bro. I just, I just want to- You want me to be free. I just want you to be free. Thank you. <laughs> but I want you to always call me and be there for me whenever I want it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so we are we are recording, and this is a podcast. So yes, welcome. To Hello, the reality. Love to um, you. Peace to you. Miss all of you. John Mark will be um, with us in a, a few weeks. But we started a, a series. You guys started a series at Bridgetown just a few weeks yeah. ago, and we started the same one this Sunday with the intro teaching. And it's basically, it's called um, Future Church. Um, and the idea of this series uh, is getting our churches uh, kind of around a, uh, a way of life that we live together. Um, we traditionally call it a rule of life for an entire church, which is a strange endeavor for churches our size. Usually they're done in really small monastic communities, but we're trying something uh, like trying to, how do we do this on a, on a, on like a large scale? Right. And, um, so we were together recently, uh, traveling together and I asked you what the next series. You can't say that. Tra travel shame. Edit that out of the podcast. I mean, we were traveling, meaning we had zoom backgrounds. Of travel. Exactly. We had like Hawaii behind us on zoom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what I meant. That's what, that's what traveling is. And, um, and you said, I'm doing this series called future church. And I was like, I want to do that series. Like, how, how did I not know this? And we'll back up on that. You know, you and I and Tyler Staten from Oaks Church in Brooklyn and a few others, we've been dreaming for a couple of years about kind of doing a rule of life together as churches. And because we all wanted to do it, but it's so outside like our generation's paradigm. Yes. And so our fear was like, people are going to think we're a cult or something like that. And so we thought maybe if we do it together, it will feel less cultish and more yeah. like, this is actually something that is not only logical, but is biblical and is historical and makes sense and is necessary for the moment. So we've been, I think, talking about this for years and even meeting pre-COVID and you know, us and some of our C-Rock, kind of some other pastor friends we have, we've been living by a rule of life for us yeah. as pastors for a while now. So like, I think there's, yeah, there's backstory even to your backstory. 
Yeah, I mean, the super backstory to that backstory is that um, we started, you and I started this thing called Sea uh, Rock, where we got pastors together um, that we want to journey with for a lifetime. And so we just decided we're going to journey together and we're going to meet every year and we're going to go through, uh, we're, going to, we're going to keep ourselves accountable to being pastors that don't stumble, fall, yeah. and wreck our lives in the church as much as we can. We can't as control as we everything. Can. Yeah. As much as we can, we want to journey together. At the and same part time, of that is having a place that's open and vulnerable to yeah. share, but another part of it is like holding each other to a way of life. Yes. And this is kind of the things that we that we were backing into, like how, what kind of life can we commit to live together? But we have these touch points of we're living in this life rhythm, even though we're scattered all over, kind of all over the world. And, um, and then, you know, several years ago, like six years ago, I met with a mutual mentor of ours and asked this mentor, like, I want to do like a church rule of life. And I'm really young and knew at what that even meant, but knew that like there, there has to be some collective way. And he said to, to me, and we talked about this, um, you, don't, you don't create a rule of life, you discover one. You discover one after years of trying and so and experimenting. And so we did that with ourselves. You and I started talking about this, doing things with our churches, doing things with our pastor, collective pastor group of like living a certain way together. And this is like years in the making. Right. And now fast forward to we're together and you're like, I'm going to do a series where we kind of lay all this out. I'm like, I... I want to do the exact same series. And uh, we're like, let's do it together. Even though you guys are a couple weeks ahead. Um, and that's how we're here. We're here because we believe that, you know, in some ways this is the future of the church. Right. There has to be a shared, you know, what, I think you said this in your, in one of your sermons, the way that uh, membership was based on, based on orthodoxy. Yes. There has to be an orthodoxy plus an orthopraxy. Yeah. I, th I think what a, I, I think what I said was what uh, uh, doctrinal statements were to churches under Christendom, rules of life could become to churches in exile under secularism. That's a you know, way more And I, I think what yeah. we mean there is that I think what we're both discovering in, and by both, I mean both of our churches in San Francisco and in Portland, is that the only type of discipleship to Jesus and life together as a community that will survive like the level of gravitational pull of secularism, be it the left version like it is in our cities or the right version in other parts of the country and the world. The only thing that will survive kind of the ascendancy of secularism is like a really robust, like thick webbing of relationships built around discipleship to Jesus. So the yeah. old kind of way of like, I come to church every two or three weeks and I read my Bible once in a while and I have a few Christian friends that just is like eradicated by all things San Francisco or Portland yes. or Instagram or the internet or the New York times or whatever. And doctrinal purity. Like I believe what my, this church believes that has eroded as well. And so because yeah, of isn't that crazy? Race, like, is there a part in San Francisco? San Francisco is like built out different. Like in Portland, there's these two downtown streets, like in the original downtown core, where all of these churches are on these two streets, or really like two sides of one block. And they're just all these different denominations, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, the one we started in, which was American Baptist, you have Congregational, you have a Lutheran. And it's so weird to me that like when, if you had moved to Portland, even 50 years ago, for sure, a hundred years ago, 
you would not have like gone to church to church to decide which preacher you like or which had the coolest Hillsong worship or whatever. You would have like joined a church based on your identity, based on yeah. your doctrinal belief. Like I'm a Lutheran, I go to the Lutheran church. I'm a Presbyterian, I go to the Presbyterian. Like I'm not saying that was a good thing. I'm just saying it's interesting that it's so far gone from yeah. our consciousness now. I was just speaking to a pastor in, uh, in San Francisco of a church that's like a hundred and something years old. And I asked him, how in the world have you guys stayed in San Francisco for that many years? He said, well, for the first, you know, hundred years, it was a, a, a monocultural monolithic church. It was like one kind of per Swedish people. It was a church of made up of these type of people that believe these type of things. And so people would immigrate to San Francisco and they would go to their church. But now we try to diversify the church and that's that's what's so different is that there isn't this monolithic thing that pulls people or even churches together anymore. And that's a good thing. Like there's yeah. some good things about that. Yes, there's a lot of but, good in it. Yeah. But the but the bad is the fracturing, like the the culture that we're trying to set. I think this is what we're trying to discover is we're trying to set a new culture. I think what we're doing with the rule of life is trying to set a new culture with yes. a multi-ethnic kingdom of God in mind with people yes. from all these different places what's yes. the thing that binds us together yeah and I don't mean that in like a nostalgia for the past I just mean there's something to like a prior commitment that you bring to a church of yeah. this is how I follow Jesus exactly and there was that way and now because of all kinds of reasons all that way is is gone so. I also feel like a huge part of, you know, we've done a ton of work up here over the last few years teaching on practices or spiritual disciplines. And it's really interesting. It's kind of like our attempt to teach educated, sophisticated people things that in a previous generation, you would have just learned from your mom or your dad, you know, yeah. like I've done this like two month long, you know, teaching series and practice on scripture, but my kids don't need that because since they were little, like they've just been like, we literally have a rule in my family that was passed down from my parents of no Bible, no breakfast. You don't get to eat <laughs> until you have spent time. Our family's on a, like a yeah. family reading plan. Call me legalistic, call me whatever. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm the oldest of four kids. All four of us kids still to this day, wake up in the morning and read scripture yeah. before we eat. It's just like built into our muscle memory. Memory, you know, that's a gift. Like it's the whole saying, you know, spiritual disciplines are better caught than taught. But now we're dealing with like the, the, the breakdown of the family as a whole in a lot of different segments of culture, but just the, the breakdown of, of Christian heritage. And so a lot yeah. of people are new to the faith or grew up in a kind of low discipleship culture. Maybe their parents were nominal Christians, but didn't teach them the way of Jesus and even how to follow Jesus. So now a lot of us in our 20s or 30s or 40s are having to learn these like embodied rhythms and ways of being together in community under Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about that so much. I literally was talking to uh, my therapist, therapist about that. It's really hard not to blame parents for the way that a church full of people that I have. Like, in a lot, large part, they just have no idea, no concept of this stuff because they were never taught it. Not all of them, yes. but a lot of them. And I think what would happen with a lot of our parents is that they, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but a lot of parents outsourced discipleship to their church, yes. outsourced it to children's ministry, outsourced it to youth ministry, outsourced all of this stuff where there, where there needs to be this high collaboration of it happens in the family and then it's, it's reiterated in community. Um, and the same thing I'm, I actually was telling the staff today, I 
doing that with our daughter, Juniper, teaching her to pray. And she's two years old and she's just learning uh, how to pray. And I, for a while there, I was scared because when we pray, she's like, no pray, no pray. I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. Uh -oh. I'm like, going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> but she's just learning now to go, you know, she, you know, she can't speak. She only speaks in third person because she doesn't understand the concept of me or I yet. So she calls herself, her name, we call her Junie. So she can't say Junie. She says Jiju. So she's like, Jiju pray, Jiju pray, Dada pray, Mama pray. Like, and it's just like seeing that going, I want, I want her to grow up with this like prayer culture. I want her to grow up understanding like, you know, Bible before breakfast or Bible before phone or whatever it is. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it is, I think it's now our, the church's responsibility to, to do that. And then, and then hopefully we can cap recapture the next generation right. of like, how do we do this with our children now and steal these things in, but it's, you're not alone. You don't have yes. to do it alone. The job isn't outsourced to the church, but also the job isn't you go alone. There has to be this collaboration, a high collaboration. Symbiotic relationship. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So here's one of the things that, that, um, that's come up and, and I'd love to ask you because I know that you've, you've, you've been leading your church through this for years now. Um, ever since actually we collaborated on your biblical literacy that right after that, you've been doing this nonstop for the last four and a half, five right. years. Yep. Exactly. Um, practices. So um, the rule of life and practices, how, how, how do you address like intentionality um, and heart posture versus like, like a checklist, like this becoming a new, like legalism, a new asceticism that, that will have to be rejected in a generation. How do, how do, how do you do that? How have you thought about that? Yeah, I guess how I've thought about it is you know, a fewfold. One is like, we have to lead with the ache, you know, meaning we have yeah. to constantly keep before our heart. What's, what is the end goal? Because practices are not virtues. Like you're not more yeah. virtuous if you read your Bible in the morning or practice Sabbath or fast every Wednesday. Yeah. They're all means to an end. The end is becoming people of love, joy, and peace in union with Jesus. So we, you know, have to be really careful how we define success. Success is not, I read through the Bible in a year, or, you know, I memorize Romans, or I go to church 50 Sundays of the year. Success is I am becoming a person of love and union with Jesus. And we have to keep that desire before us. So like I've started working on our mutual coming teaching for Sunday, just the last few hours. And, you know, we're, we're teaching on fasting. And with fasting, like you, you have to, it, it, like the gift of fasting is it can actually get you in touch with your deeper hunger more than for dinner or lunch, but yeah. for God and for God's yeah. joy and for God's presence. You just have to keep, I think in particular for it's incumbent upon us as pastors and teachers to keep the vision of, of the joy of life in the kingdom constantly before our church's minds. Like that's literally part of our job and responsibility, yeah. but it's incumbent upon all of us as followers of Jesus to curate our mind stream and keep the joy and the desire for God mm -hmm. ahead of us. And to remember that practices, disciplines, rules of life are a means to an end. The second thing I would say is like, we do have to like, in a gentle way, beat up on the like authenticity culture of like Western kind of post French postmodernism that basically sees desire as authentic, but not will. Yes. You know, for example, <laughs> so, yeah. like 
why is it that we think our emotions are more authentic to our true self than our vows? Like if you're, if you are trying to decide to stay in a marriage or not, you're like, well, I just have to be true to myself. And myself doesn't love her or love him anymore. Well, why is your current emotional state more authentic to yourself than the vows that you made on your wedding day yeah. or even your will to be a person who of fidelity and longevity yeah. and who is set free from the prison of your own need to be happy, right? Which yeah. is the greatest prison that many of us live in. So I do think we do have to gently in our own hearts push back on this authenticity culture and say, you know, there's a great myth that not only scripture, but also science both debunk. And that is if, if you do something when you don't want to, it's legalistic or it's inauthentic. And that's not, my understanding is like at a neurobiological level, that's not how habit formation works. Yep. Actually, it's the other way around. You start with the habit, you start with your body and also often your emotions and your desires will follow. Yes. So if you don't quote, love your spouse, don't not have date night because it doesn't feel authentic. You start doing date night and buying flowers or serving or doing surprise meals or doing, and you just let your emotions and your desires follow your will. And in many sense, this is like the gift of the human creature that God has put a will in each of us that can actually override our current emotions and our current desires in name of our deeper desires and ache for God and to become people of love. Yeah. So I, I think there's some, I don't know, that's how, kind of how I think about it. So I yeah. agree, we have to constantly push back on legalism, but I, I guess I don't live with the paranoia of legalism that many other Christians have. Yeah. And maybe that's just because I came of age in a time of liberalism, not a time of legalism. Yeah, I think that's so well said. Yeah, I think even your first point about joy, the importance of joy in this process today, our, uh, our, uh, minister of our prayer ministry, David McKinney and staff meeting said that um, a joyless Christianity is not a sustainable Christianity. Yes. He's like, how do we do all these things with joy? How do we do every single discipline and practice with joy in mind? Because if it's not, and it's not like it's cultivating joy, joy is different than happiness. Joy is different than like, I, I do what I like to do, but cultivating joy. And he said it happens. And this is a book that you and I read even this last year. It happens in community relationships. Yeah. Like this is why it's important to do all of these things in relationship. So it builds up joy capacity that you're yeah. in this together with other people who oh, are so good. doing this along the way. And if you don't build up joy capacity, these things become so dead and dry and they don't actually do the, the inner work that they're supposed to do, the interiority, the inside work. They do the outside work. They do the, I look righteous on the outside. Right. But it's when you do it in genuine community where you're honest, where you speak of failures, you speak of, struggles you confess the gaps um that's where joy capacity goes up that's where connection happens right and um i think that's so huge and i wish we had a neuroscientist on like i know there's a link between joy and like habits sticking you know like i'm reading that stanford prof right now his little book tiny habits and he has you yeah. like smile every time you yeah. do a new habit that you're trying to start because yeah. there's some and he explains it i don't understand the science but neurobiological thing that when you feel happy and and part of that has to do with community around a new activity it like cements your body's desire to do that activity again and increases yeah. neuroplasticity at some level you know That's i'm just what, thinking like again we're teaching on fasting this coming sunday um at the risk of getting in trouble for telling this story so this last sunday a couple of days ago our whole family fasted because that evening 
we, the elders were coming over to our house to pray over some real demonic manifestations that we've been experiencing in our house. Mm -hmm. And that might sound a little weird to some of you, but we have a Druid living across the street and um, we've just been experiencing some like really scary demonic stuff. And um, my middle boy has been experiencing some uh, medical issues. So the elders were coming over to like pray over anoint with oil and pray over uh, my son Moses and our home and we have this beautiful time. So as a family, we just decided, I put it before the kids like on Saturday, like, hey, how would you kids feel? And our kids are pretty young, but how would you, I mean, they're, you know, 12, two 12 year olds and a 15 year old. How would you guys feel about fasting before our prayer time tomorrow night? Just kind of from when you wake up till evening. And they were all like, yeah, we're in. Okay. So I'm like, I was a little surprised by that. So we did it. The whole family did it. And it was this like, we had this powerful experience and um, everything's been great since then in the health and the house. But then what I was shocked by was the next morning, my 15 year old son, who's like wonderful, but is also like a 15 year old adolescent yeah. boy. Very, very much so wakes up. And we're like, hey, have some breakfast before you go to school. And he's like, no, I'm fasting today. And we tried to talk him out of it. We're like, okay, why? And what are you thinking? And there's a, another family member that's sick. He's like, I, I want to pray for this person. And I was shocked because I came down the stairs and he's sitting by the window, like almost in the lotus position, like <laughs> sitting down with his Bible in his lap praying and i'm like this is not normal behavior for a 15 year old yeah. wow. adolescent boy but he's like dad i just felt so and then i debriefed with him last night at dinner when he broke his fast and he's like dad i love it i want to do this four days a week <laughs> mom and i were like uh no let's back up the train but he's like but i just feel so close to god and my yeah. mind was sharp and god came to mind throughout the day and you could just tell like there was like some he had started with the okay i'll do the right thing but he had very quickly moved to, I'm finding joy. I want to do this. Yeah. And so that's where I think there is something to that. Start with the habit, start with the body, let yes. your heart follow. Power, man. That's power. It is crazy. This, the, the, the way that our bodies, this is Willard's whole thing, that our bodies are like the, the, the power capsule. That yes. like we, we can actually, in our bodies, carry the power. God, this is like what God's given us, like the battery yes. pack. I um, love it. Willard has that great thing on fasting where, and I think this is true of other practices as well, where fasting, he writes, is a way to turn your body from an enemy to an ally yep. in the fight to where your body's yep. work from where your body's working against you to where your body is working with you and, and yeah. for you, meaning that deeper sense of self. We need to change the topic. We're just giving away all our good stuff for Sunday. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Edit it out along with travel. Well, we have a list here. We have a list. We, we can the, the production it, right? team in the other room will edit it out. There's yeah, no production team. We're both at home on Zoom. Yeah, on Zoom. Uh, John Mark has an amazing headphone mic setup <laughs> going on. It was like a gamer. You, you look, look gorgeous. Gamer. You have this great setup. I'm in this like boxy, lousy sounding room <laughs> with my 1980s Garth Brooks headphones it, on. It looks awesome. I want to take a screenshot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we'll just kind of unpack as we go from here on out. Like, uh, I guess this is my subtle way of trying to land the plane. Yeah. But I, I really believe that, um, you know, I was praying for, I was praying for you on Sunday. I was praying for our, this endeavor on Sunday. And, um, we have other friends in other parts of, uh, the nation and even the world that are like leaning into this as yep. well. And Teaching we want to see, life. Yeah. yeah, we want to see, uh, we want to be positioned for a, 
just a fresh move of God, like a like yeah. a, a genuine holy move of God, and we want it to come through uh, the, the 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 temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our yeah. bodies through through practicing the way of Jesus. And embodied, like yeah, embodied spirituality. I love yeah. that. That's Christian theology. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, Dave, about that little event we were at a few years ago where Mark, Sa- Mark Sayers, our friend, who's been to both of our churches, had a great word about how the next move of God will be both form and fire. Yep. You know, form meaning it will have like, in, in a culture right now of just like widespread chaos a little bit at some level and Antifa and moral release and like fragmentation into tribalism, it will, it will have a form to it, a structure to it, a order, not order, I don't mean order in like the politicized sense of the recent months, but uh, like in the true like mythological sense of order versus chaos, you know, and it will have the fire of the Holy Spirit of sweeping, like that's our only hope is that we can create, we can create forms, we can organize and teach and discipline our lives, but then we just have to wait for the wind to blow, wait for the spirit to come, wait for the fire, you know? So I do think it's that form and fire. And a lot Mm -hmm. of movements in the past were like all fire and they just blew out because there was no Mm -hmm. form to contain or it's all form and it turned to legalism, dry religious, you know, reaction. So like, I think that's the dream. That's the prayer is how do we create a form that will posture our churches to receive a great move of God in the coming Mm -hmm. years? Amen. Amen. And with that, we'll, we'll say there's more to come in the yeah. weeks and the months and the years ahead. We have a lot more that we're dreaming of and working on. And so, um, yeah, God, make us that. Bring the fire as we put together yeah. these, these forms. Yes.